are you doing? What am I doing? I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Is that your Halloween costume? Huh? That's your Halloween. Oh, that's your Halloween costume. Yeah, it's cute. I'm this. I'm this black cat. Spooky. Uh. (laughs) All right. I think you just uh, just wished bad luck on uh, myself and all those watching this show. Good. Nicely done. Yes. I'm very happy about that. I'm glad that I was able to curse you all. Are you are you dressing up for Halloween? Are you going to a Halloween party? I don't know. Um, I am going to a Halloween party. I don't know if I'm really dressing up. I didn't find out about it until yesterday. So yeah, there are no uh, there are no parties going on this year. Really? That I have discovered so far. I, I mean, maybe something will show up at the last second, but nothing. Maybe I'm just unpopular. Usually, I've got a lot to pick from. Yeah, I. Uh... Uh, but actually, I'm not too upset about not having to get a costume ready. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not. At this point, it's either gonna be I throw on a wrestling mask, grab a belt, and you know, just fucking go as backyard wrestler again, uh, or I just take that old uh, Arkham Asylum straitjacket I got sent years ago and just do the mental patient thing, which is easy enough considering you know the giant dark circles under my eyes and the sort of weird crazed look <laughs> I generally have. So not hard to pull off. Easy, easy stuff that I can just kind of you know softball in there. I think instead, because it doesn't sound like, because uh, Halloween, well, I guess what makes it weird is that the years where Halloween isn't on a, a weekend, you know, the parties fall in like different weird tiers yeah. of weekends. And so I think what Halloween is next, Wednesday or Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. Um, so I like, especially because I'm in the suburbs, like I really don't want to travel to the city for a party because I don't have some, you know, I have places to crash, but you're staying at someone's place and yeah. it becomes less appealing as you get older. Yeah. And so I think instead, you know, we're going to, we've, I've lined up a couple of haunted houses. I need to pick one tonight mm. uh, so I can buy tickets. Uh, there's one that's uh, in an abandoned state prison. Mm, yeah. It sounds pretty good. Uh, and then there's another one uh, that is more just like it's like a big campground sort of thing. So I need to pick one of those, uh, and then we're gonna go with some some friends on Saturday night, which sounds pretty good because I I, I haven't I think we mentioned this on a previous show, but I haven't done one of those proper right. in a while. Yeah, old prisons and old hospitals; those are usually the 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 best locations for that kind of stuff. Uh, there was a place we wanted to go to when we were in New Orleans earlier this year that was an old mortuary that had been converted okay. into a year round haunted house. Uh, but great. for some reason, the time we were there, it was closed, even though it's supposed to be Aww. open all year round. They just, they, they weren't open. So that was kind of a bummer, but yeah, it is a really old ass mortuary with like an actual graveyard behind it and everything. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm curious. I, like I've tried to Halloween websites are terrible. Yes. Like they're search for any haunted house website. God awful. I don't know how much of a market there is because it really only works once a year. Yeah. But holy crap. Like, I just try to look for, like, just I need a spot to look for. Just tell me what the best haunted house is. Like, what is the best haunted house? And they all look like fucking GeoCities websites from, like, 1994. Somehow the worst web and graphic design people always gravitate toward spooky stuff you know like it just like you know like haunted house websites you know halloween websites like ghost hunting team websites that kind of stuff like that shit yeah, always but, looks like a total nightmare and it's not with any sense of irony that like haha we have a terrible website no. it like is played straight just we have a website that has no functionality to help you find the very simple thing you're trying to do which is please just rank 
the Halloween locations uh, by distance from where I am and what people think of them. Yes. That seems pretty easy. And, like, Yelp is not a great database for one-off stuff. No. So there isn't uh, a whole lot there that's very useful. And Yelp reviews just sort of suck. Oh, yeah. Uh, They're awful. My, I mean, my, my tactic with Yelp reviews is just pick most reviewed. So if something is, you know, most reviewed 500 times, then it's probably pretty good. Whereas if it's, you know, obviously, you know, reviewed five stars, you know, a hundred times that I think that means, means less. But I think still, it's not good for one. I think so. this is our new web business, Patrick. We need to go into business okay. ranking uh, haunted houses uh, on a website that doesn't look like hot garbage. I'm, you know, we can revolutionize the industry, man, by not looking like I'm, shit. I'm not going to be, you know, Giant Bomb will not be around for the rest of my life. And maybe that will have to be one of my crusades is just fixing this tiny thing <laughs> that I think only bug. I know it doesn't only bug me, but it wouldn't make the world a better place. But it would make me feel better about myself yeah. if I was to solve that problem. I don't know. I'll see Dave Snyder be like, hey, man, next big thing. We've got one year to revolutionize shitty haunted house websites. The future. Platform. The future. Yeah. Uh, do you see all these people buying DualShock 4s? Yeah. Apparently they're uh, they're out at GameStop now, which is, uh, I mean, I guess not super surprising that they would put a little bit of the hardware out there ahead of time. But, yeah. Well, I saw I was perusing some message boards threads and some people talking on Twitter. It sounds like maybe not a universally sanctioned sure. move. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's hard. It also could have been that maybe the 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 accessories can go on sale, but you know, I imagine there are probably some managers or employees that are afraid of getting fired for selling things that you know they're not supposed to go on sale yet. But it's not uncommon for accessories and even games to go on sale yeah. uh, ahead of. I mean, I, I remember Wii U stuff was that way, where you could uh, you could buy Wii U games well in advance of the hardware for whatever reason that you might want to i should go uh, i should go check my local game store they're really good about breaking street dates um the one that isn't well, i don't know i don't need a second controller i don't think quite yet so like as tempted as i am to want to touch i just want to have, have like a oh sure yeah. yeah i guess that's true if they had it out it's been cool to watch people figure out uh, how that controller works with so you can use it on a ps3 it'll pair yeah and then some games will work, some won't. Some functionality doesn't work. Uh, it does, I guess, depending on your OS. Like there, are people still kind of figuring out what the the weird bits are. But basically, it'll pair to your your Windows PC and even to a Mac, uh, but with varying degrees of success right. of getting. Essentially, either Sony will have to release an official driver, mm-hmm. or someone will manufacture a driver, uh, or people will have to continue to rely on uh, sort of sort of bunk software in order to unlock some of the more advanced features. The stuff like the uh, like the vibration doesn't work natively, so people will have to use software to figure that out. But it's, it's super early days yet. Um, but it is, you know, I don't blame people for being, maybe if they don't need a second controller, excited to just go out and say, they have a box that says for PS4. Yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Like, I don't, if you, yeah, I don't need a second controller, but, like, that's neat. Yeah. To say that, like, next gen is it's here. It's here, and it's it's three weeks away. The system is three weeks away now, and then the, the Xbox One is four weeks away. You know, it's like we're 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 there now. Like we are at the countdown stage for this shit, and it is terrifying and exciting all at once. Just because you know there's going to be way too much to do for exactly two weeks. You know, while everything else is kind of spaced out, but at the same time, hey man, 
fucking, it's time. It is time for some new goddamn consoles. I don't care if the launch lineups have gotten weaker. I'm just happy for some new shit. Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, did you play uh, anything anything this week of note? Yeah, I played through uh, some of the Stanley Parable. Uh, I haven't gone through all of the... Well, I mean, I don't even know how many possibilities there are for that game yet at this point. But uh, I, I went through at least a couple hours of it in a few different playthroughs. Uh, that game is real cool. That game's real funny, yeah. real neat. Um, I, I'm going to have to be very careful to say anything, because obviously the whole point of that game is to experience it for yourself uh, and not really give away any details, but... Uh, you know, as an exercise and sort of exploring the nature of player choice through comedy, uh, I think it is a far greater success than I was perhaps even expecting. Because I thought that game was going to be cute, but I think it's actually really, really funny and really, really clever. Uh, which is, you know, kind of nice. You know, there's been there's been some cute, some funny, some some neat games this year, but I think this is arguably the funniest thing I've played so far this year. Yeah, and it's not just funny for absurdity's sake no. like something like saints row uh no not that Saint, saints row can't be yeah. clever but like a lot of what it trades in is is the absurd and treating the absurd with a straight face and i so adore you know, saints type. row 4 that game is hilarious yeah, yeah. but i think that not take anything away from that yeah. but it's not it's not very biting no uh it's not it's not a, f- a comedy with a bit of an edge and and the stanley parable like if you've played a lot of video games kind of people watching a dumb show like this probably play a lot of video I games hope so. it's it's uh, it's really funny because I don't think it, I wonder how it would play to someone that can't realize the irony of a lot of the commentary. Right. Like I think it's I think it still probably works on a couple of levels. I still think it's probably funny given that it's subversive and reactionary to what the player does. So I think someone, you know, if I was to hand it to my wife who's not exactly you know up to date on video game design tropes as they relate to storytelling and player choice. But I think it's the, the the actor is funny, the way it reacts to the to the player doing stuff is funny. That I think even one playthrough like of twenty minutes, mm-hmm. I think would work for someone that is not steeped in video game design lore. But for the people that are, and then when you start pushing at the boundaries and being genuinely surprised when the game has a reaction to it, yeah, uh, I mean that's the stuff that when you, it's really hard on your first playthrough because. You start noticing all the the moments when you can break it, right? Uh, you know, and, and break it in the sense that the game wants you to break it. It's a game that's meant to be broken, just because it it wants you to to poke at it. But it's hard to keep on one track, yeah. Because you'll start noticing like, if I jumped off here, I'm pretty sure I could land on that bridge, and I want to know where that door goes to. And the fun becomes then, you know, it's you know, it's not a spoiler to say that a lot of it is you get to an ending, it starts over. And then you you begin again, and the parts where it gets really crazy are when you think it's over and you've started again and you haven't. Right. And then it goes in some really really crazy directions, uh, but it's definitely you know for I don't think a lot of what the game is lampooning isn't necessarily about uh, I don't it's it, it goes in a lot it's hard you know it's. It criticizes games without being very cynical about them, sure. which I think is a really fine line and, and really admirable thing to do. Uh, and I think it, it resonated with me, especially because that was kind of a lot of what my or part of what my talk was about at the, for, for TEDx was somehow saying that we can have a dialogue and we can criticize without turning into monsters. And I feel like the Stanley Parable is this incredible biting critique of video games 
while at the same time giving them a hug at the same time. Yeah, it's it's not overbearing about it. It's not precious about it. It's definitely not mean about it. It's exploring the kind of nature of, you know, the, the design of choice in games, you know, what that actually means, like what what that actually means for the, the protagonist or the player or what have you. But, you know, it's making these criticisms without, you know, making a judgment exactly. It's just saying, look, this is kind of the nature of this. Here are some jokes we have written around this. Here are some weird, absurd situations we have written around this. Have fun with it. And I think that is an incredibly admirable approach to something like that because, you know, without getting into the, you know, laborious games as art thing, you know, I mean, the idea of something like that is being able to express an opinion through, you know, mechanics and gameplay and, you know, narrative and all that stuff, uh, while still making it a entertaining, fun experience for someone. You know, that's kind of the ideal situation for a game like that. And I think the Stanley Parable hits most of those notes. I mean, it's not a real complex game. You know, there's not a lot of gameplay there. It's, you know, kind of some button pushing and some door opening and a few other things here and there. But it's like what they actually do with those light mechanics, I think, is pretty clever and pretty fun. And, you know... Like you said, the first time I kind of went through and I thought I was just restarting and then suddenly the narrative totally, you know, took a left turn on me and everything started getting kind of weird again. Uh, that was when I realized there was something a little bit more to it than just, you know, some funny jokes about, haha, you don't actually have any choice. You're just, you know, a pawn in a game, etc. Uh, it definitely goes beyond that pretty quickly and I was pretty impressed with it. Yeah, it's, it's the moments where I think up front you think this is purely a commentary on on sort of like player subversion right of the designer's intent uh and that is i would say probably you know sort of the thrust of uh the the game's thesis if it is to present one but it it plays with that tension in some in some really great ways and yeah it's just you know like if you were to read this as an essay it would be a pretty good essay on the problems of video game design in 2013 but it's the presentation of its argument yeah. that I think makes it seem really fresh and interesting despite it not necessarily presenting entirely new ideas. Right. They're ones we've heard before, but it's done in a, in, a, in a really interesting way that makes you stand up, pay attention, and realize sort of why the, having these conversations or thinking about this stuff is important, even if it doesn't mean that all games need to change or conform as a result, right. which I, I think is sort of maybe the the lasting impression you get from the Stanley Parable is, like, hey, these are problems, but ah, it's, okay. it's a game. It's video games, but video games. Yeah. Yeah. So I played a, a decent amount of that. I got some more uh, scenarios I, I, I know I still need to play through, so I'm going to keep playing did through you, the weekend. It's, did you go in the broom closet? I've gone in the broom closet a few times now. Okay. Okay. Go, okay. I was just going to – Yeah. I don't want to say anything more, but hang out in the broom closet. Hang out in the broom closet? Okay, I haven't hung. Yeah, I haven't tried to like, hang out in the broom closet. I've just oh, hang out, a few hang times. out in the broom closet. Okay. Just, like just shut that door, just hang out in the broom closet. All right, all right. Um, I, I I will say probably the one thing that uh, is a little frustrating about wanting to see everything that game has to offer is well, for one thing, you never will. Not, e- sure, but but the, like I do like I want to see the other endings. But there's not like a good way. Like it's hard to figure out the best way to go about that. Which is like I want their, I want I don't want a hint system, but I want someone to tell me like, hey, go look over there. Uh, I don't necessarily just want like, well, here's the ending. Uh, like I part of the fun is the experience, and it's like, 
I'm going to jump in there maybe one or two more times. And at some point, I will have sort of just run out of what I think are my ideas. And I'll need sort of the help of the brute force of the community to, to, to realize where to push next unless I just watch them on YouTube. Right. And I wish the game maybe didn't have a checklist, but at least had some sort of way of like, hey, we know that there's other stuff here. Like, and maybe you're not going to find it. Like, here's a way for you to kind of see that stuff. Uh, so that's the one thing I wish the game accounted for a little bit more. Sure. Um, rather than just having to, like, go to the Steam forums and and start poking at seeing what people have found. So Agreed. Uh, other than that, I played a little more Pokemon, which I think I'm done with. Uh, it's not that I, <laughs> I, I... Again, I have no great dislike of that game. I have no issue with it. It's just not interesting enough to me to want me to like to want to keep playing amid all the other things that are about to start coming out. Um uh-huh. so I think I'm just going to kind of abandon ship on that one. Uh I don't know if you've had a chance to play much more of it, but I just sort of I just hit a point where it was like, yep, it's just not that interesting to me. So I think I'm I'm letting that one go. Uh I I'm going I'm going to play more. Uh I have not yet. Uh, but uh I'm def. I'm not going to. I'm not going to quit on the Pokemon. All right, Alex. I'm not going to quit. Okay, I'm not a quitter. That's fine. You don't have to. Um, I'm going to get Nintendo to send you a lot, a bunch of more Pokemon codes, just to drown you in guilt. That doesn't. I mean, I. Well, for one thing, I'm not going to download them, so I don't really know what I would do with them. <laughs> uh, I'd probably give them away on Twitter if I got them. Uh, two, don't do that. Uh. Other than that, I downloaded uh, Enter the Dominatrix. I haven't had a chance to play that yet. I'll probably play that on, like, Sunday uh, when my girlfriend's off volunteering. And then uh, I've been... I've heard it's disappointing. I've heard that, too. I'm okay with being disappointed with that because I've kind of come to expect that from Saints Row DLC at this point. Uh, I'm, my, my last, I thought they learned their lesson, though. My last, thought... my last remaining hope is the Saints Save Christmas. If that's good, then maybe they can redeem themselves on that DLC shit. If they can't, then I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, and then I've been playing a lot of WWE 2K14, but I can't talk about that yet because it is embargoed until next week. So you will just have to okay. wait until next week for the review of that. That's all I got right now. What have you been playing? I've been beyond two souls. Yeah. So how did you, what'd you, what'd you think of that, Patrick? Yeah. I really liked Heavy Rain. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I I will continue to go into David Cage games uh, as an optimist, I think. But I really agree with your review of uh, of Beyond Two Souls. Maybe fall a little bit more on the sure. spectrum. Sure. I just. Man, I don't even know. Like, I don't even, I don't even, like, the controls don't work. I think the controls are bad. I don't think, I think that's universally true. Bad. I think there are definitely scenes where the controls are atrocious. I I think they were on, it doesn't feel like an iteration of Heavy Rain. Well, that's It that's feels true. like, it feels like the controls, they're like, oh God, we have these controls from Heavy Rain. Let's put them in this game. Right. Uh, it. I just, it all, uh, you know, maybe I'm, uh, coloring my memory of heavy rain a little bit in my mind but i rem- i seem to recall feeling like the controls were much more in line with the character actions in a way that is not true in beyond two souls and i it just took it really took me out of it to, to be honest like a lot of the time it really took me out of it even like the 
I couldn't stop being frustrated at the combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of the combat, you know, is set up where you're supposed to flick the right stick in the direction that sort of Jody is heading in right. based so on whether she's slows attacking. Down so you can kind of see where she's headed. But you can't really I, – I couldn't tell half the time. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. I, now, obviously the, the, in the early goings, I had a lot of trouble with that. Once I got past that initial training sequence, I got a feel for it. But that training sequence took way longer than it should have for me, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I just – it's a game with ghosts. It I should is. have really liked it. Yeah. And, and actually, you know what? I think the ghost stuff, uh, you know, apocalypse, world-ending stuff aside that it plays into just like every other video game, I think that stuff is actually the core idea of a girl tethered to a spirit that she has some control over but ultimately develops a relationship with right. and learns to live with, I think is – I can see why that was a fascinating thing to explore. And I think there are moments in that game that absolutely do justice and service to that interesting premise. Yes. And – it's it's the the scene with the the kids at the birthday party. It's the it's the dating. It's it's all the quiet moments I found to be the most enjoyable. And, Except for and the romance wishing... stuff. Oh yeah, the romance. Oh, the romance, the romance is the stuff. worst part of that game. That dude cannot write male female interaction in any kind of believable or meaningful way. He is literally incapable of it. He needs an, and I saw a quote where he explicitly denied the idea that he could ever work with someone as a writer, and that bummed me out because I think that is sort of where this needs to go next. That's terrible. That is a terrible thing to say, that you could not work with someone else as a writer, that your vision is so narrow and so specific to you that, you know, there's no way anyone else could possibly improve it. Like, what a weird, awful thing to say. Well, that's not so much – the way he put it was that, you know, writing's very personal. Well, like, sure. I, I need to do it on my own. And, and, and I you know, I don't disagree with that, but I, the guy needs an editor. Everyone needs so an editor. We'll see. Like, I did – you know, I thought it was interesting and, and admirable that uh, Shuhei Yoshida, uh, the head of Sony Worldwide Studios, tweeted uh, in the last week or two, that he went to Quantic Dream and and gave David Cage his honest feedback about the game, mm-hmm. which you know implies that he that he had some problems with it. And you know, my guess is that that sort of thing happens with every game that you spend millions of dollars on and and uh, then have meetings about it afterwards. But I thought it was telling and interesting and perhaps hopeful mm-hmm. that you know the guy who is essentially responsible for bankrolling uh, what the studio does going forward you know, said that he had some problems with the game and expressed that to David Cage. And, you know, that probably, ha- you know, certainly carries some weight. And at least it gives me maybe some hope because I will play the next one. I, you know, at the end of the day, the guy is doing something different, mm-hmm. whether it works or not. And that's what that's why I, I like the fact that I don't like the game. Yeah, because I have I have a I had a passionate reaction to it. I have a deep uh, divided opinions on what works and what doesn't work. And and I, th- I, that's more of a response than I have to a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, and... I think I had the identical reaction to you where there were a lot of things that I thought were really interesting and really cool, and there was a lot of just really savagely awful shit and just bizarre stuff in there that felt like it just didn't fit with anything else. You know, it's just, it is a bizarre, you know, dichotomy of experiences that, that just don't entirely fit together. 
Like the, the, the idea that he talks about not needing a co-writer and editor, and yet this is a game that, without you know talking about why it's structured this way, is structured in a way that you are jumping around Jody's life and experiencing these different moments, uh, oftentimes feels like it was just there wasn't a cohesive narrative thought of from the beginning. It was more like, here's a cool premise. Let's come up with a bunch of scenarios and then a narrative justification for why we don't really need to link those together in a particularly meaningful way. I feel like now there is. Yeah, go. go I, was, ahead. I feel like that structure worked for the first like two thirds of the game because it felt like it was building to something. But then what it was building toward didn't make any goddamn sense with the rest of that, you know, sort of jumping around in time. Like, I feel like there was a like it, it felt like it built toward something that it didn't actually go toward which is why the yeah. last third of that game is so weird. I mean, I didn't I didn't hate the endings or anything, but it definitely, like, the conclusion in the last few chapters of that game feel like they don't build out of any of what has was organically built out of the previous two-thirds. Yeah, and I guess the thing that's so frustrating about the game to me is when <clears throat> its best moments are, are pretty goddamn incredible. Yeah. And, and unlike anything else that that you see in games typically and it i think it's actually a really interesting example of the actors involve elevating the material which is not something you see in games all that often right i mean you know willem dafoe is you know is kind of cheesy but i think but it he's works. willem dafoe cheesy which is better than most right. voice actor cheesy right and and i think ellen page she's great you know, part, part you know part of how you react to her is you know what you just sort of think of her as an actress but I also think that's cool that we have that in games because that's not normally a reaction. We have normally it's just, well, it's a voice yeah. and it's it gets the job done unless we're you know talking about you know exceptional situations like a Troy Baker or or uh, uh, Nolan North or, or people yeah or yeah. Nolan North, um, but mostly we don't have those reactions to voice actors and this is a situation where I think the actors elevated the material in a way that had an impact on your reaction to the game and. I think Ellen Page sells a lot of really goofy scenes that have no reason to be taken seriously uh, on a on a writing level, and she pulls them off totally. And like, I, I, I'm almost tempted that we, we should get some other people together and talk about this game with with spoiler tags off, because uh, I, th- I think it would I think it's an interesting game to talk about, even if it I don't think it's particularly great. There's a lot of material is, there to discuss, certainly. Yeah, like the, the homeless section. Mm-hmm. which the moment that the game told me that, you know, the way the game sets up the, the narrative transitions is you're sort of the timeline and these things split off and it says, you know, like, you know, it's basically a chapter title and this says homeless. And I was like, oh, God damn it. This is going to be like the mm-hmm. idea of watching David Cage write and portray like the homeless sounded like this is the beginning of a million video game essays about, a white entitled guy doesn't get it. Right. And, and, and so I went in with pretty low expectations and it ended up being, I thought the most interesting section of the game. And I, I, you know, I don't want to get into why that is, but I thought he created a bunch of really interesting, apathetic characters that also was like a really interesting intertwining of Jody and her struggle and her ability to, to use those abilities to, impact other people's lives i've i you know the closest i got to having a real emotional reaction to anything in that game and was genuinely surprised at a moment that i was like holy shit like this is like this is good like this is really like get me close to crying david cage this is rough 
Yeah, it's you can, um, you can see the moments where he has somehow just stumbled upon real empathetic human interaction. Like, it's, there are definitely like when when he gets like tries to make it really big when he tries to get these really big huge set piece moments. It's when he just completely gives up on the humanity of any of it, and it just becomes you know ridiculous uh, blockbuster nonsense. Uh, and you know, it, it, he doesn't always nail those human moments. Again, the romance stuff is universally bad in that game. Uh, there, there are definitely some other character, like the the stuff on the Navajo ranch. Like a lot of that stuff feels really weird and kind of hokey and not real well written out. But like that homeless section, uh, some of her early interactions, like with the teenagers at the birthday party, which got a little over the top at certain points, but like in the early goings was pretty good. You can see that there are like there are germs of good ideas, and he has a basic like there are moments where he can nail those interactions and make them kind of believable. He just yeah. can't do it consistently, which is why he totally needs an editor or a second writer to come in and take a pass at this stuff, because you can you can build off those moments it's just that he never does like once he kind of gets into this weird zone of like yeah but now the ghost world is going to come through and destroy our planet and blah it's like he it, it just totally loses track of all that stuff and it's a real bummer yeah so yeah maybe, maybe i'll see if we get some justin mcelroy reviewed that game yes he did so i don't know we'll this we'll see if i can get something together for next I'd week be, i think that would be fun i'd be up for that i think that'd be fun okay uh yeah, because now I feel we're going to get too close to encroaching too much sure, on sure, that sure. game. Um, but yeah, it is a game of peaks and valleys. Most definitely. And sometimes you go and visit a valley in the desert, and you go, what the fuck am I doing here? Yep. Uh, <laughs> Literally, you do that in the game. You go to a valley in the desert, and you're like, what the fuck am I doing uh, here? All right, okay. All right. No more, no more Beyond the Souls. All right. No more Beyond the Souls. Um, so I played the Stanley Parable. Talked about that. Played Beyond the Souls. Played that. Uh, so I'm... You didn't play, but uh, and, and we won't mull on this long, but uh, not surprised to see some of the mixed reactions to uh, Arkham Origins yeah. coming out this morning. Yeah, I've, you know, I, I, I had played that game a while ago. Um, I'd only gotten to play through a short level section where I beat up some dudes and then I beat up one of the bosses. Uh, and I, you know, definitely came with the impression, came away with the impression that it was more Batman. Um, and this looks like it is more Batman but without really any forward progress whatsoever. And it sounds like some of those boss fights get pretty laborious and not really that great from a few of the reviews I've been reading this morning. Yeah. I... It's one of those games that I feel like had it come out two weeks ago, they really would have guaranteed I played it. Yeah. But, like, I've got some other stuff that I might want to catch up on this weekend. I haven't played Device 6, the new game from the guys who made your walk. Uh, I want to check out a little bit more of Pokemon and uh, like when you see it, when you see it, it's like, ah, if you like these games, you'll like this one, but eh, you know, that's, yeah, that's sort of a recipe for that's a game that I want to play next February. I, I look at it as I liked those games. And if you're telling me that you've done something interesting and new with this formula, then I am most definitely on board to try it again. If you are just making another one of these exactly like the last two, then I'm maybe not super hot to jump right on that. Like you said, that's something that I could totally catch up on as backlog as opposed to uh, diving right in. Because I, I I don't know what it is about those Batman games. I like them a lot, but I can never play them in long stretches. I ended up 
like, I ended up playing uh, Arkham City over the course of, like, a month and a half in, like, very short stretches, just because, for some reason, I would just get worn out after each chapter and want to not keep playing. I feel mm. like I'd probably run into that that scenario even more so if the game isn't as interesting story-wise or mechanic-wise as the as the other two, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here's, a, here's an interesting question, because we, you know, we really haven't played the game, so it's hard for us to, to chat too much, except speculatively based on the reviews, but I think this is an interesting question from Sino, which is, uh, Arkham Origins is receiving some harsh criticism for essentially being more of the same. Should reviewers' sequel fatigue influence score? Origins could be someone's first Arkham game. I haven't played it. Just interested in your thoughts. Uh, for me, yes, because those games still exist, and if this is your first Arkham game, it sounds like maybe this shouldn't be. Uh, you could just as easily go out and play something like uh, Asylum or City right now, since they're out in stores. You can buy them uh, for very cheap. For very cheap, and that's the thing—they're cheaper games. And you know, uh, Asylum was really great for its time. Introduced a lot of cool new things that you know that that series has obviously uh, latched onto hardcore since then. Uh, Asylum was or a city was a really nice expansion of that stuff. You know, Origin seems like a cool game, but I don't know if it should necessarily be your first Batman game just from what I've been reading in the reviews. Again, this is just speculative and based on the short amount of time I've had to play it. Uh, you know, again, I enjoyed what I played of Origins. I thought it was, you know, it, it, it hit some of the same notes that you would want one of those games to hit, just not necessarily do, didn't really seem to do anything too different. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like if you're starting out with this series, why not start with where the series started? You know, why not go back to the beginning and just play Asylum and then play City? Because those games are still pretty great by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand where that question is is coming from. Um, you know, but yeah, you're right. You can't you can't review them in a vacuum. Yeah, uh, I, I think you know if you do come to this as your first one, then then that's great. And you know, there there would be a place possibly for someone to write a review that was, hey, I haven't played any of these before here's what I think of this one and how it stacks up. But I don't think that's going to be how you read any review. Uh, I guess my, my guess is the maj vast majority of people who are reviewing this have played the other games. And the vast majority of people who are picking up this new one have probably played the other ones too. And it's just not a, it's not a, it wouldn't be fair to the game. It also, I think, wouldn't be fair to what is the vast majority of people who are thinking about paying $60 for that game. Right. I think those people have played the previous games. I think those people deserve to know whether, uh, you know, in a hotly contested fall where there are lots of other games, especially a lot of games coming out next month, even if there's not necessarily a whole lot uh, right now in the $60 category, uh, you know, you want to know whether that's where you want to spend your 60 or do you wait till Assassin's Creed 4 next Tuesday? Or do you wait and buy, you know, the, the multitude of great Nintendo games possibly coming out next month? Yeah. Uh, so... You know, I think one of the one of the things that I think about a lot when folks get uh, sort of up in arms about, well, you know, reviewers have a different and skewed and privileged perspective because they play a lot of their games for free and it's not in the same uh, sort of boat as, as the typical user. Um, I think some of that stuff is true, but I think on the flip side of that is that because we play games from that perspective, it allows us to sort of view it in a way that you can't when you're about to spend $60. Because uh, when you're going to spend $60, like you really want it to be good, and you're sort of setting yourself up to want to believe the better parts of a game than 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 the worst parts of a game. And and so I think a reviewer is in a position to sort of step back and say, I don't have to spend 60 bucks. So if I can view it purely as a game, 
purely as for what it is, right. uh, you know, wh- what it, what is it, what is it in that situation? And uh, so, you know, I, I think there are pluses and minuses for the situations that reviewers find themselves in. But uh, I think in this case, it's it's a situation where the reviewer is perhaps in a case to uh, provide a more uh, sort of honest response. Yeah, and I think there is merit to perspectives, you know, from people who haven't played any of the other games and do come into this one, from you know, for the first time. But I think that most people, when they're looking, you know, at least on the a product review side, they're looking for perspective on how it shapes up with the franchise and with the series and with previous interests. Yeah, like you said, you know, previous experiences, I think, definitely have to factor into that stuff. So, you know, I just want to clarify, I'm not saying, you know, there's no reason why this should ever be anyone's first Batman game, but I am saying that, you know, when you're reviewing a game like this, you have to take those past experiences and those past perspectives, and you have to be able to, you know, wrap them into what you're saying about this, because it is part of a lineage, and you have to be able to kind of, you know, contextualize that for people. Uh, if everyone just play, you know, if everyone just says, like, this is like the first Batman game, you know, then it, everything would be a 10, because everything would be a new experience to everyone. And that's not, you know, that's not how that works. And also, I mean, it's just, it's like, if you knock the game for being a little bit more of the same, but also still pretty good, uh, you know, I don't, that doesn't seem like something to get frustrated about if you're excited and think you're going to like this game and end up really liking this yeah. game. Because that would, that doesn't detract from your experience. And if anything, those reviews are reflecting exactly what you're having with your experience, which is like different people are willing to put up with more of the same because different people have a higher tolerance or a higher enjoyment of, of certain mechanics or setups. Uh, and that's going to vary by a person. And I review sports like a lot of these... games for God's sakes, you know, I mean, talk about, <laughs> yeah. you know, fucking fatigue and yearly iteration, dear God. I mean, that's, that's all I deal with every single year. I think they call that Stockholm. Yeah. Something. But you know what, in, in the right context, you know, if, if one of those games is well done and, you know, I enjoy what that, what they've offered up, I can still enjoy it. You know, I can, I can deal with the, a little bit of the, the fatigue so long as it's well done. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there isn't enough there to really get me, you know, super excited. Madden, for instance, this past year on current gen consoles. But, uh, you know, again, yes, what you said. All right. Enough of that. Okay. Uh, all right. So you got uh, not a whole lot happened this week, but there's some there's some smaller headlines. So as, as we go through this, folks want to start uh, sending questions in the chat. I'll, uh, I'll start plucking from there as we go along. But what do you what do you got? Uh, not a whole lot here. Uh, you reported on this. Titanfall is uh, headed to stores as of March 11th. Have you already put in your pre-order at this point? Are you gonna pre-order the $250 collector's edition of that of, of Titanfall? No, but that is a cool mech. I will. Yeah, that's if that's neat. That looks like $250, or I guess it would be more like well, there's an art book. Uh, so I guess maybe that thing's more like a hundred bucks. That looks like a hundred bucks. Yeah. That seems like a fair price. Um, I, you know what? I want to wonder if we ever see that Xbox 360 version before it comes out. Sure. I'm not saying that game's not going to come out. Yeah. But they don't have a whole lot of incentive to show that version of the game. No, no, they do not. Uh, speaking of release dates, Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea is out next month as of November 12th. Uh, I unfortunately missed a press opportunity to go actually play that and see what that thing was all about, but it has looked cool. Are you still looking forward to that, Patrick? Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to go back to Rapture? I feel I like do. sort of regardless of its good, I I want to check uh, that out. And, uh, you know, I played that game on uh, consoles. I played that on my, on my PS3 because that was a copy at the office that nobody wanted the console version of that game, so <laughs> that's the one that showed up, so I took it. Uh, cause I was living in the pre PC era 
at that point and uh you know i'm i'm looking forward to playing this uh on a pc and and seeing what that looks like most definitely um so yeah i'm, I'm excited november 12th i guess that's uh that's just before what are these long what are these console launches i get the i'm getting all the dates i believe up. 15th is uh the uh, yeah 15th is the ps4 so that's three days before the ps4 Okay, and I've heard that's pretty short, so that seems like something to sneak in right before everything gets gets nuts. Totally, so that's probably a, that's probably a good date for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is just a rumor, and not to get too back into the Beyond thing, but there are some grumblings around the internet. Again, completely unconfirmed uh, that Ellen Page may be looking to sue Sony over the fact that uh, her nude model has been circulating around the internet from that game which again let's just clarify one this is from a hacked game it's not actually in the game and two it's not actually her body it's just a digital body that they put with her face but there are apparently some rumblings that there might be some kind of lawsuit thing maybe happening there i i don't know that seems like kind of a weird thing to sue over i know she has like a no nudity clause in all of her acting gigs but does this really count yeah, I, this I, I read that article. That seemed uh, awfully speculative. Yes. On on what she might or might not do. I I don't. I suspect she's upset, and I suspect she has reason to be upset. Sure. This, is, this would certainly be, you know, it's not her body, but you know, tell that to all the people watching it on Vimeo and and other websites that allow content like that. Um, you know, and she was already kind of. She had she had she had uh, expressed uh, that she was kind of pissed about The Last of Us, right? So, you know, she's maybe not on the best terms with Sony right now. Maybe won't be seeing Ellen Page in a, in a future Sony product. Uh, but I don't. I I can't imagine uh, that she would actually sue. But uh, it definitely is. You know, the next in a long list of hey, game developers, get that shit out of your system yeah delete the di- delete the content off the disc before it goes to manufacturing like, like don't create nipples like just don't don't put them on there just don't or if you do just just like because you because you were maybe possibly had a scene that was edited out for whatever reason like get it out of your game like it's a very obvious thing at this point this is like the equivalent of people listing unreleased games on their linkedin account right like it's idiotic just don't do it. it is still happening yeah, I know, I know that story sounds is, is like totally baseless and probably not actually true. I just thought it was really funny for some reason. Just the yeah. idea of pursuing over a nude model would be really hilarious. Um, last thing I've got, Patrick, this one's specifically for you. Uh, Euro Truck Simulator 2 has Oculus Rift support now. Are you ready to get on board? Are you ready to get into some, some Oculus Rift trucking? Uh, I might have to at least install that. Yeah. See what that is all about. That sounds... Like the right kind of dumb. They're still testing it, apparently, but uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I feel like actually the untested, sort of broken Oculus support for a trucking game would be better than the actual Oculus support for a trucking game. Yeah, that's it's that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to. I'm I'm pretty sure that is on my Steam Press account, so I at least have to have to check that out. Totally. That's what I got. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot here, you know. Uya is going to expand to all target locations. Great. Mostly that just makes me think that I should at least turn on my Ouya and see eh. what's on there and then turn it off again, probably. You have an Ouya. They sent me one. They sent me one. Let's, and let's be clear. They, I did. I kept thinking I would play uh, 
what's the Towerfall? Sure, yes. I had heard I had heard good things about that, but now that PC version's coming out in a couple of months with like a single player story and stuff, so I'll just wait. Let's see. I, did you watch this new Killzone Shadowfall trailer? I haven't watched it. I've seen some screenshots of some of the stuff that people were talking about, like you know why that game looks cool or whatever. But I haven't actually watched the full video yet. Yeah, it's, they seem like they're gonna rope me in again. I I played Killzone three and Killzone two. I didn't play Killzone one, uh, but Killzone two I played because I felt like I had to play it mm-hmm. after all the hoopla over that trailer. Sure. And then Killzone 3 I played because it had uh, complete move support, and I wanted to see what it was like to play a sort of full-fledged shooter from front to back with a move controller. Right. Which seemed fine. And uh, I don't know, this one, I can't tell if this is, hey, Patrick, you're about to spend $1,000. Uh, here's a game to play. Or if this one looks pretty good, because I, th- I think the story looks like it be pretty good. But I feel like that's what they do every time with these Killzone games, and the fiction sounds way more interesting and when you read it on Wikipedia, then it is actually presented in the games themselves. Yeah, I, I've i never been able to get into Killzone on any level. I've never finished any of those games. I've, I've started playing some of them and then just fallen off. It's just, I just don't care about that universe at all. And the visuals, you know, while they have been generally pretty impressive for the hardware that they've been uh, assigned to, they're just so goddamn gray. They've been so goddamn gray for so long. And the one thing I will say about uh, this one is that it does look like they have discovered color, finally. And that, to me, might actually be the tipping point that gets me to maybe pay a little more attention because I cannot just stare at gray, bleak nothingness that, you know, looks really sharp, but nonetheless is just just totally bleak and uninteresting just in general. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't really. I these new games are gonna be big. A lot of hard drive mm-hmm. space. Forty gigabytes for Call of Duty Ghost. Good lord, that is a lot. Uh, my SSD on my PC is crying at uh, the prospect of this. I only have 128 gig. Uh, I I will probably need to get a larger SSD if I want to have one major game on that hard drive at a time. Do we? Ah, uh, that's all I. Do we know huh? what the hard? I forget. What are the hard drive specs for for the launch consoles? Have they said much about that stuff? Five hundred gigabytes, I think. Okay. Um, I think so. That's still not a lot of games. If games are going to be like forty-eight gigs, you know. Yeah. But whatever. I think people that have more than two or three games installed at one time are crazy people. Sure. Yeah, I'm I don't. One of those people. I don't. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know why you need eight games, nine games installed at once. Uh, you're not playing. Eight, you're not playing eight games at once. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I just keep them. I never delete them. I don't know. I know. I know. I believe me. I'm. I would talk to Brad and Jeff about this all the time. Digital just game like, order. That's me. Like, delete your games. Like, I've had a 20 gig Xbox 360 for the entirety of duration of this console generation. It's called deleting the game after you're done with it. Yep. And moving on. Uh, although, obviously, if people play multiplayer. That would be a little more uh, complicated. Um, okay, let's grab a let's grab a couple of questions. I like it. Ba ba ba. Archan, you you cats. Haha, uh-huh, I get it. I don't know if you did that on purpose, mm. but it'd be pretty funny if you did. Uh, either cats gonna get on the new Phoenix Wright. I'm thinking about it. I haven't played a Phoenix Wright game in a really long time. Uh, I, in fact, I can't actually remember what the last one I played was. It was many years ago. Uh, but I've heard this one's good. 
yeah, I've seen uh, some pretty glowing reviews that maybe this is the best one yet. And uh, I, I've I played maybe an hour of one of the GBA ones, mm-hmm. I think. But I have not I have not touched it since, even though it definitely seems like the type of game that I would be into. Um, but starting a Phoenix Wright game here at the end of October with, you know, these, you know, big games like AC4 coming next week that, you know, are, you know, for sure 15 to 20 hour games. Uh, it's one of those that I definitely want to play. Like, mental note for next January. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Fetter Dave asks, what about, given the sheer number of games reviewers have to play, the possibility that newness and innovation, both totally positive things, might be overvalued? It's a good question. I don't think they really are, though. I mean, you might say that there are certain people who overvalue that sure that's possible but i don't think in general the idea of creating unique or innovative experiences is inherently overvalued because of you know the familiar the familiarity most critics have with that stuff um yeah i don't know i mean it's like i i i don't know what about those aspects would technically be overvalued i mean those are important things i think because that's sort of how you like innovation and and you know creativity and trying different things is sort of what drives this industry forward isn't it so you know yeah i mean iteration and building off existing ideas and and you know crafting new experiences around existing framework is certainly something that can work well and can be done well and there are plenty of sequels that have gotten many many high scores just by virtue of being better versions of what they were before but you know i don't think that holding those things in high regard is in any way a bad thing personally yeah i agree all right i agree oh all my chat questions disappeared for some reason um hypothetical Mm -hmm. blackwatch asks what graphic style would you like in the new wii u zelda (sighs) i'd like something new um not to you know just completely you know turn around on that last point but uh you know as much as i love the wind waker look uh you know i don't inherently just want them to go back to that uh i didn't really love the art in uh skyward sword or twilight princess so you know i'm kind of of the opinion that maybe it's time to just try something different uh I don't know what it was about Skyward Sword that I just didn't like, but I just, I really hated the character design in that game. I really hated the way, like, all the characters in that game looked. They tried to split the difference between Twilight Princess and something like Wind Waker. Um, Not as extreme as Wind Waker, but they, they wanted to be cartoonish, but not going all the way to, you know, looking like an actual Saturday morning cartoon like, like Wind Waker does, and... I just I didn't feel like it ever really defined a style. Uh, I mean, it, it had a style, but it just it was not that interesting. It just felt like it was walking between several different Zelda worlds, and you know, I think that game in general struggled to find an identity for itself. You sure. know, I played it, I did enjoy it. You know, I, I don't think it was the best Zelda ever. It was not the greatest game ever, but I I, I did enjoy my time with it. And I think had they trimmed the fat on uh, the middle section of that game, I think more people would have. More people would have played it and enjoyed it because I think it had some incredibly brilliant uh, dungeon designs and the combat was a lot of fun, but it was kind of stuck in a a game that looked and in some ways, uh, especially early on, played like something that people had seen before. Yeah. And I am genuinely curious to see some of what they do in A uh, a Link Between Worlds 
because I feel like that is their first step towards really shaking up what Zelda is. And they're, you know, you read the interviews, read with, you know, Eiji Anuma is talking about for the next Zelda. And A, it sounds like it's a long ways off, that it is definitely not next Christmas, and it is the Christmas after that. But I'm hoping, you know, I'm curious to see what they do. Like, how far do they go? Because uh, they're talking a big game, but it's it's easy to say that, given that Nintendo is historically a, a pretty conservative company. Um, I'm definitely curious, at least. Same. Um, common reason. Are you anticipating the evil within? Do you think we'll actually bring anything new to the survival horror genre? Uh, the bits I've seen of the evil within don't suggest it is anything revelatory to the genre. It definitely looks like um, Shinji Mikami looked at you know, Resident Evil 4 and said, I'm going to take another whack at that. Um, I haven't played it myself. They've mm-hmm. only shown very brief slices of that game. So, you know, kind of hard to say, kind of hard to take away too much from it. Uh, but uh, it's promising at least to have a, you know, a big AAA horror game coming down the pike. Uh, we don't get a lot of those. Uh, most of the games that we get to see are, you know, smaller indie titles. And, and those are certainly raising the bar of quality. But it's, it's nice to see, you know, a big publisher with big money kind of going at it. And uh, I hope they're able to hang with the likes of Amnesia. They, the uh, scare factor, scare quality has gone up since Mikami last produced one of these. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he does with that for sure. Yeah, I, you know, like you, I don't see a whole lot of, you know, anything revelatory in there. But I'm all for just, you know, a really good fucked up horror game from someone who does fucked up horror pretty well. So in this case, it seems like, you know, he's at least going in that really messed up direction. So, you know, hopefully it plays well. That's the one thing I don't really know because I've never gotten hands on with it. But uh, from at least from a creating a really nasty, unpleasant, spooky ass atmosphere, that game seems like it has that going in spades, at least. Yeah, like, you know, kind of touching on the discussion we had earlier about, you know, reviewers or critics valuing or perhaps overvaluing, uh, valuing uh, sort of newness and innovation. Um, You know, it's been a long time since I have played a game like the one we're talking about with Evil Within. You know, it's been a long time since Shinji Mikami has iterated or touched on the, the design of RE4. So even if Evil Within proves to not be all that drastically different, or, or, you know, sort of game-changing from a design perspective, you know, it's been long enough that another one of those, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of okay with me, as long as he sort of brings it in terms of the enemy design, you know, the horror structure, like that stuff, uh, I think uh, could make that feel new, even if gameplay-wise, you know, we're, we're going over some, some territory we've seen before. Totally. Uh, I got one here. Death Sandwich would like to know if I have any thoughts on the new Rocksmith game. As a former Harmonix employee, do I think I'm going to play it at some point in the future? Uh, you know, I might. I didn't really play the last one, uh, other than at a press event, because I, I don't know, I think I wrote that game off perhaps a little too quickly, the first one, just because, you know, it came out around the time that it was sort of at the tail end of, you know, Rock Band 3 had come out and not done real well. It kind of seemed like music games were on the, on the way out entirely. And while I'd heard that game did a pretty good job of actually teaching you some basic guitar stuff, I'd also heard some mixed things about how well the, the, the sensor worked, that there were some like lag issues or something like that. Um, so I didn't really give it much of a chance, but I've heard almost nothing but pretty much positive things about this one in terms of the amount of content in there, the song selection, how well the guitar stuff works, how well it actually teaches you guitar things. 
as someone who has failed to learn guitar no less than a half dozen times in his life, nothing would make me happier uh, than to find something that actually teaches me a little bit of guitar. Not, I don't need to become a virtuoso, but just actually kind of know how to do it a little bit. And if this game is actually good, which a lot of people have told me that it is, then that might be my one time to try this out. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd like to be able to at least play power chords. Yeah, Rock Band 3, the, the, the pro guitar stuff, like I tried it, it just, the, the language of that thing did not translate into something I could really understand. Uh, hmm. I am to understand this game makes it a little bit easier to, to, to learn that stuff than, than Rock Band 3 did. So I'm going to, I'll test that out for myself. I don't know for certain, but, but the early impressions I've heard from people have been pretty positive. Uh, last bit is just sort of a public service announcement, but Fatal Frame 1 and 2, $2 a piece for PlayStation Plus members next week. Those are goddamn good horror games. Yes, they are. Uh, if you have not played the Fatal Frame games, they were early innovators in the non-combat horror genre, uh, or I guess sub-genre, or take on the genre, um, where you don't have something you can fight back with in a traditional sense, but you actually can interact and get rid of the ghost using uh, sort of a special camera and those games are scary as shit yep uh and i have not played fail frame 2 in a long time but that was my favorite back in the day uh so if you have playstation plus or if you don't uh fatal frame 2 is is a really really good classic uh modern horror game that i would uh i would imagine still stacks up pretty well i just realized i actually still have fatal frame 1 on in box copy sitting on my shelf right there i don't think i ever bought two uh I think my girlfriend borrowed it, and I watched her play some of it. Uh, but yeah, those those games are terrifically scary, messed up horror games. As far as you know that, especially that that kind of like you know PlayStation Two era of J horror type stuff goes. Uh, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, and God damn it, I wish Nintendo sort of like owns that IP now, and they seem to be doing nothing with it. Yeah, with the relationship with Tecmo, it's some it's a complicated thing, but. I, I look at the Wii U gamepad, and I think that is goddamn perfect oh, totally. peripheral for you to make a Fatal Frame game. Go make a Fatal Frame game. No one will buy it. No one will buy a Fatal Frame game at this point. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. This guy will buy it. All right. That's going to do it for my name, Scoops of the Wolf. Alex, uh, I, will talk to you, uh, I will talk to you on Monday. Ow!